Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. I want you to take a deep breath, like a, a soul deep breath. Feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> I wonder when was the last time you were free enough for like just five seconds to take that kind of a soul deep breath. Maybe plopping down at the end of a very tough day, like, ah, what a day, right? VBS people, (laughs) TSM people, you've been there. A deep sigh. Yeah, I'm there. I am more than familiar with this. And the hits just keep on coming, don't they? Right, parents? You take that soul deep die or deep sigh right after you set the kid down to bed, the baby, the infant, and what happens? Screaming from the other room, inevitably. <laughs> I'm seeing some heads nodding, so I think some of you are at least in, in lockstep with me on this. And sometimes the interruptions aren't just interruptions. They're the beheading kind of interruptions. Pastor Jeff with us last week had this disturbing interruption within Mark's gospel where because of Herod's tragic choices, John the Baptist was murdered. Right in the middle of Jesus's ministry, right in the middle where where stuff's going on, you have this, this account sandwiched between the The apostles being sent out, Jesus had been rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. And then you have, right after that, today's account of the feeding of the 5,000. And right in between these two stories is this tragic interruption, the account of a, a needless death of John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin. And make no mistake, This was an interruption. The apostles were in the midst of ministry momentum like never before. They had been doing extraordinary things. Jesus wasn't just showing them his power. This was a time where he was entrusting them with his power and authority to go out to be the sent ones. This is where a wrench gets thrown into the system. At some point, in some way, the tragic news breaks across their phones. Okay, I know they didn't have phones, but it's the only way you and I can relate to like tragic interruptions instantly stopping our world. They were going through life. They were doing these fantastic things in a season of ministry unlike any other. And then all of a sudden, they got this text. John has been beheaded. And in the gap between verse 29 of chapter six 
And where we're going to head today with verse 30 of chapter 6, I think there should be a big space in our Bibles. We need to be able to pause and read between the lines, people. We're supposed to feel that there is so much more emotion and relationship and maybe even fear than just the words that we read. We're supposed to feel the harsh interruption of John's murder. John, the apostle, not the Baptist, made a point to actually end his whole gospel account with a statement to this effect, that there's more that actually happened than just the words that we read. John ends his whole gospel with this verse. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books to be written. That's so good, right? Such a reminder that, hey, there's more that happened than just what we're encountering. And you and I are supposed to read that, feel that, sense that more is going on here. In episodes like like Mark chapter 6, where it's just moving from one thing to the next, we can be so spiritually conditioned to just move from one passage to the next. Pastor Jeff's message last week focusing on choices and whatever Pastor John has to say this weekend. Moving from one thing to the next. What's next? Slow it down. Sense what's going on in between the words. Live at the pace of life. That's not where I've been living lately. Full disclosure, I have been asking my soul to live at an unhealthy pace. I needed that soul deep sigh that we started off with at at the beginning. We've had staff developments here at Timberline Windsor. We've had campus and land developments. Anybody see trucks moving dirt up at the farm property? Just south of the farm property, stuff's going on there. Ministry developments, BBS, TSM, missions, foster developments, the loss of a family member this last week, and extended family relocation plans. And I'm a person that is built for, and those that know me best might say, obsessed with moving from one thing to the next. This isn't a wine session, and it's not a counseling session for me. But for those of you that feel like you're just being asked to move from one thing to the next, from one screaming need to the next. That's where I find my soul. That's where I'm at. And so the gap between verse 29 and verse 30, before we even start, finds me right where life has me. I wonder if you're there too. Verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And this is where I really wish that we had a a few more answers from the author, Mark. Like, wait, how are we supposed to understand this harsh interruption that John the Baptist, because of the choices of Herod, John, one of the people that Jesus counted among the best there's ever been, his tragic murder, And then verse 30 just picks things up again like that interruption never happened. 
I've got a big question mark in my Bible next to this hard pivot that Mark takes between verse 29, the burial of John the Baptist, and verse 30, the apostles returning from their mission. And maybe that's just it. Maybe it's that this is a harsh interruption. The whole world stopped for those involved. But isn't it wild when your world comes to a screeching halt, nothing else around you does? Have you ever had that surreal sensation that something just happened? You get that text message or that phone call and nothing will ever be the same again. And yet around you, people are still laughing at jokes and going to grocery stores. Like soccer and softball practices are still scheduled and your daughter needs a certain color of of socks. This is getting a little personal, isn't it? (laughs) I'm just trying to pay attention to the world around me and put myself, my real life, in the same kind of situation that these apostles found themselves in. Picking up this account. And they do the same sort of thing that I tend to do. I'm not a quiet person. (laughs) They come back after their mission and they report everything to Jesus about what they had said and done. This was a season of ministry for them unlike any other. They were the ones preaching. They were the ones casting out the disembodied spirits of the evil giants. And if that's coming out of nowhere for you, would love to invite you to listen to a sermon Pastor Brent gave about a month back on that. And regardless of the pace of life that they were asking their souls to go at, they were doing it. They were on the ride. Just last week, uh, when our family was out in Southern California, I had the opportunity to go on some top-notch roller coasters at a place called Knott's Berry Farm. Anybody been there before? Oh, wow, this whole section. You guys are all Californians there. So uh, Kay and I, on these roller coasters, found ourselves giggling. Like, I mean it, not just laughing or smiling or having a good time, like giggling because my body hasn't done that very often, that sense of zero gravity and twists and turns and corkscrews and flips, and and I didn't throw up. I just giggled. And what do you think? Once you go on those wild rides and then the ride comes to a stop and the, the harness releases and everybody gets up from the cart. What do you think is the first thing that absolutely everybody does? With wide eyes, they just recount everything about the ride that they had all just been on, right? Oh, that part where, where it did the flip and we didn't see it coming. Oh, that was so great. Hey, let's go over here and, and check out a picture of us when our bodies are not under our control at all and it's super embarrassing. Let's check that out because the adrenaline is still running through your body. You're still conditioned with that level of excitement. The apostles had just got off their ride. This this is where they were. We call them apostles, by the way. Sometimes we emphasize calling them disciples. Disciples means ones that are closely following Jesus. Apostles means the sent ones. So that's the the point of emphasis there. The apostles had just gotten off of the ride of their life and they came back to Jesus and they were just spilling their guts. They were full of adrenaline. They were full of memories. No time to eat. 
undoubtedly exhausted, but with stories and excitement, maybe even some unprocessed emotion from having just lost their friend, John. Anyone know what's likely to happen next after the adrenaline wears off? There's a crash coming, isn't there? (laughs) Your body and your soul is not built to sustain that kind of excitement and frantic pace nonstop. I love Jesus because they come back Verse 30, they're coming back with wide eyes right off of the ride. Jesus, you gotta hear all about this and then what happened and then, and what happens next is amazing. Verse 31, and he, Jesus, said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. I love this. Jesus doesn't use this as a teaching opportunity. He doesn't use this as as anything other than, come on, we got to unplug for a while. He sees them. He sees their adrenaline-filled bodies and their frantic-paced souls. Jesus sees them. Just like he sees you after your pressure-packed day, Dad, just like he sees you, mom, when the baby starts crying again. Or students, when you're in a group of of school friends and nobody really connects with you, Jesus sees you. Don't move so quickly through these passages where you forget or neglect to take it slow and let stuff like that sink in. That thing in your soul that's kind of tempted to look down at our Bibles and go, well, where is this story going next? What's Pastor John getting to? That's your frantic soul, your flesh. It's conditioned to be outpaced and exhausted. What's next? What's coming up? Let Jesus see you. Jesus sees them and he takes them away. He intends that they rest. He intends that even on the backs of ministry fruit, that they separate from people for a bit. With him. Don't miss that. When I'm making such a big point about Jesus seeing them, that does something for them. Verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. I see you. And I understand absolutely everything about the circumstances you're facing. This is the joy about the season that I'm personally in. That I have come to realize that God doesn't need a full rundown of the situation that I'm facing in order to understand it perfectly. We do. Like if I want to understand my wife's day, I'm going to need to know as many details as possible, right? And the thing that is glorious about prayer life when you're living in a fast-paced soul season is that when you go to prayer, before you even utter a word, our God understands what you're going through better than even you do. He doesn't need you to articulate it in order to understand. He understands perfectly and he knows what you need. 
come away and rest a while. Look carefully there. There are English words that have been translated, but they've been translated this way for a reason. Come away by yourselves and rest a while. Come away by yourselves. Come away. And there it is for me. That's where it hits me. That word choice is so specific. Not get away, not go away. Even the great sounding Southwest Airlines tagline won't cut it here, wanna get away. Sounds good. It's good to escape from time to time, but escape won't do anything to restore our souls. It's not just get away, it's come away. That first word, come with me, not just sending you away, go away, get away, take a break, come and be with me, he says, away from what you're facing, away, distant, separated from what's demanding so much of your soul, even if it's good stuff, come away. There may be things in our lives and in our world that allow us to get away, to escape. Alcohol, binge watching, physical activity, packed schedules or social engagements. And I'm not saying those things are, are necessarily bad things. Maybe they are in some given situations, but none of those in and of themselves are enough to restore our souls. Escape is not enough to restore our souls. Come away, Jesus invites them and us. When he taught his disciples all about the nature of Sabbath, we covered this a couple of months back. It was back in chapter two of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus said, hey, Sabbath, this is for you. You're gonna need this. This is the sort of soul care that he had in mind. And that leads us to the first outline point. I believe God knows sometimes what is best for us is good rest with him. That's so good, so soothing, so restoring. The soul sighs in his presence. He leads us beside quiet waters. His yoke is easy and his burden is light as we abide in him. That's that soul deep sigh that I need. And I invite you to, to sigh deeply again and this time do it with the invitation of being with him. That's such a good place to be. Such a good restoration to find. If we can get there. Because sometimes the hard... <clears throat> Just like a hard record scratch, <clears throat> the relentless returns, doesn't it? Verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. <laughs> Ain't it always the way? 
Jesus and his apostles have every right to be frustrated here. They had just gotten back from a mighty mission. And Jesus saw them and said, so good to see you guys. Hey, let's get away. And so they went in a boat and they were supposed to go to a desolate place. But all the crowd saw where they were going and went, we can beat them there. And they went around the lake and found them at the other side. At least they had the boat ride. But Jesus sees something else. Beyond the emotions and the screaming urgent, and Mark actually lets us in on Jesus' motives and his perspective here. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He's God. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He isn't just present in my situation with me. He's also present in all the different situations of people that are screaming for my attention. He sees them too. And what he sees here, as Mark gives us some motive insight, is a bunch of sheeple. I love that not only is that a word, but there's no red squiggly line under it in my Microsoft Word doc right here. It's a word, sheeple. And I love that it makes me, it makes me laugh a bit, that word picture. Because it, it gets a great description of people just, just wandering and, and aimlessly, not really, oh, crowd's over here, let's head over here. And oh, oh they, they're so easily disoriented and distracted, just wandering. A bunch of sheep, sheeple. Exodus 34, the people of Israel were stuck, wandering, aimless, because their soul condition was distant from the Lord, and the sheeple needed to know it. Numbers 27, 17, at the tail end of Moses' leadership and in the midst of a people crying out for leadership, even if they're not going to listen to it, God calls Moses and Joshua to lead a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. All of us can find ourselves wandering, distracted sheeple. And here, back in Mark, Jesus finds the people, the crowd, the masses, at a point where they had lost who should have been their leader. That was Herod. But he's getting drunk at parties, winking at attractive girls, and lopping off people's heads. Their leader has failed. And Jesus sees that. The sheeple need a shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he taught, as is accounted in John chapter 10. Even when exhaustion and the best rest intentions call for escapism, which might be what you and I need, because we're not divine, he is God. God never gets exhausted. God never gets in the midst of such a mass of people that he gets disoriented and so overwhelmed that he can't see and understand every soul. 
So why is it that Jesus doesn't rebuke the crowd when he had intended on going away with his apostles? Because he saw them in a supernatural, divine way. Every person in every need. And his divine compassion overcomes whatever annoyance might have been there. Let's keep going. Verse 34. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. You help meet this need. Have you ever held back in a prayer because you're afraid that God's gonna say something like this? <laughs> God, I see the need of this person and I just pray that you would meet their need. You meet their need. Dang it. <laughs> because we're tapped. We're exhausted. Sometimes, like right now in my life, full disclosure, right now in my life, we are well aware that we are laughingly inadequate. Can I say that again? Sometimes in our lives, we become well aware that we are laughingly inadequate. Oh, this is such a good story. Let's, let's finish it off. Verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And, he, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Now, we're gonna continue, but pause right there. They are just having returned from their mission, their mission where Jesus told them, go and take nothing, just what you can carry on your backs. And here they are in the crowd of thousands. We're gonna see that by the end of this passage. Thousands of people. Is there any chance that he says, well, how much, how much do you got to feed these thousands of people? laughingly inadequate. So they go, and when they had found out, they said, five, and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, sorry, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all, all the sheeple, ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Logically assuming that there's more than just men in this crowd, this is a kind of ancient way of accounting for the masses. There's thousands of people here, like enough to fill the Budweiser event center, twice. And Jesus sees every single one of them. He says to his adrenaline-crashed apostles, bring whatever you have, even if it's laughingly inadequate. I am the one who makes the inadequate abundant. When they had went on their missions, Jesus had told them 
to bring nothing with them. And after this long day, all the 12 of them could scrounge up is five loaves. Not like big loaves, like five little mini pizza loaves and two fish. Bring whatever you have, even if it's laughingly inadequate. I am the one that makes the inadequate abundant. And like God provided manna in a desolate place for his people back in Deuteronomy 8, here he does it again as Jesus feeds the masses in a desolate place. He feeds them food, meeting their real tangible needs. And he feeds them his word, his guidance, his leadership, for they are like sheep without a shepherd, without a leader. When people encounter the gospels and they find themselves asking the question, who is Jesus? Here we are seeing that his is not just a power to break things, to break the power of the hostile storm or the unclean demons or break the power of sickness. His is also a power to lovingly provide for his people. He is the God that fights back the power of darkness and lovingly places what we need in our hands. The shepherd feeds his sheeple. How does he do such a miracle? No clue. Not even a clue from Mark. But look beyond the need. Look even beyond the miracle and see him. This is where I'm preaching to myself, my own soul here. Look beyond the need. Look even beyond the miracle and see him. You're standing on the precipice of a great need. You're in the space right before God's gonna do a great miracle. Look beyond the need, look beyond even the miracle, see him. You know why? Because we're sheeple. What is likely to happen when God miraculously shows up in your life and my life? What is likely, let's go all the way back to Old Testament times, what is likely when God parts the water for his people to cross through safely? Within a week, they're grumbling. What have you done for us lately? If God were to miraculously show up in my life for this need and do the miracle, if I miss seeing him, I'm gonna fall right back into that ditch. In fact, somebody uh, showed me a video that they caught of me doing this in my own life, moving from needing rescue and being freed and then falling right back into that ditch. Let's check out the video. You been there? Yeah, you have. That's us, sheeple. 
That's what we do. It is so distinctly us to have God miraculously free us from one thing. I'm free, I'm free, just to bound right into the next issue. It's what we do. It won't take long before God frees us from one thing and we're bounding right into the next. It's been God's people all the way since the garden and the wandering wilderness to this present day. Isaiah 53, 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We need the good shepherd. We need the guidance, the rod and the staff, the direction and even the discipline of the shepherd protecting us because without him, we are hopelessly, helplessly sheeple. Genesis 48, 15, Israel called him the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Psalm 23 beautifully sings, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We need the good shepherd. Not just for the next issue that we're gonna find and jump right back into. The next screaming need. And he'll be there and he'll make the inadequate abundant there and it'll be a great story but take a deep sigh and look beyond the need and even beyond the miracle and see him. If you've been distant from him, if you haven't surrendered your whole soul to the good shepherd, you can do that right now with this prayer. I receive your gospel, the good news about the good shepherd. Each of us has wandered, turned our own way, and you bore the consequence so that we could return to you, God, and be restored. Not just escape, be renewed. I accept that, Jesus. I accept you for all of your love and all of your guidance over my life. In Jesus' name, I am saved. That's salvation. And if that's you, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'd like to ask Kay to come back up because we'd like to have some space, uh, some openness to respond in this service. It's a little different, but I'd like for us to use space in these services to do some soul level work. This is way more than my five loaves and two fish can do, doing soul work for people of the church, but that's why the Spirit's about to work.
I want you to think about these things in your life. For the exhausted. For the inadequate. For the needs. For the interruption. If any of that is in your life right now, the first thing I want you to do is take one more deep sigh with him. And I want you to have some space with some music behind us for you to come up to the front. Some space for you to come up with your needs, with your inadequacy, with your exhaustion the interruptions and as you come up I want you to just open your palms like you're surrendering it to the good shepherd a prayer of surrender lay it down after a while we'll pick up singing worship again and as that happens or whenever you're comfortable you're free to return to your seat We'll also have a prayer team available after service for those that that want to do a little extra time surrendering. I want you to stand with me. Listen, for those that don't come forward, please be praying for those that are. And logistically, if things bottleneck here, we'll spread out and find whatever space we need to, to have space to surrender to the good shepherd, to the one that makes the inadequate abundant. God, I pray over this time. I pray that we would be authentic and real in using this space to allow you to do some soul care. We hold on to our exhaustion, the needs that are screaming at us our inadequacy to meet what today is calling for and the interruptions. I'm going to be here, God, surrendering where I'm at before you to the Good Shepherd. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, For joining serving opportunities and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.